Thank you so much for joining us here on the Fearless Health Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Anne-Marie Barter. And first off, I want to say thank you so much for joining us here today. We are so grateful to have you. And we really want to help you make empowered health decisions and health choices. If you want to see this in video, please head on over to our YouTube channel. While you're there, please hit subscribe and comment below on other topics that you want to hear so we can get those guests on the show. If you're listening on iTunes, please hit subscribe. Give us a five-star review. We are just so grateful that you guys are doing that. So thank you so much if you've already done that. We really appreciate it. Today's guest is Jen Maleka, and she is going to talk all about how she has dealt with handling her own gut issues and also environmental toxins to heal her own Hashimoto's as well as helping and empowering clients to do the same. So Jen has over a decade of personal training experience. She's also trained as a functional diagnostic nutrition and in transformational coaching. She creates personalized health and rebuilding programs for clients that are realistic and sustainable for long-lasting results, and she empowers them to be a boss of their own health. Welcome to the Fearless Health Podcast with host Dr. Anne-Marie Barter. Dr. Barter is on a mission to help people achieve their health and wellness goals and help men and women live their best lives fearlessly. Dr. Barter is the founder of Alternative Family Medicine and Chiropractic in Denver and Longmont, Colorado. Jen, thank you so much for being here today. I'm super excited to have you, and um, it's going to be so fun to dig into autoimmunity, which I know a lot of people are interested about. But before we get into that, I'd like to really hear your story and um, how you have managed and or healed your own autoimmunity. Yeah. Well, thank you for having me. First of all, Dr. Ann, I'm excited to be here and, you know, share my personal story to help inspire others and then share some information today too, that'll help people that might be dealing with this. Um, So, you know, should I tell the short version or the long version, I guess, but (laughs) um, ultimately long story short, I'll say is that uh, when I was in about my mid thirties, so somewhere around like 30, I think it was 33 or so at this point in time, um, I started just having like health issues that were accumulating. So I'd actually already previously had a health journey in my twenties where I had recovered from skin cancer and healed a lot of stuff that was going on, like chronic fatigue and all those types of things um, that were happening with me then. And I was on this great path. And then I started working from home, doing the work that I do now. And slowly over the course of two years of working from home, my health started to decline again. Like I started to put on weight and over the course of two years, it just slowly accumulated. And next thing I knew I was 15 pounds heavier. Um, And then I started having cystic acne and I had never had acne in my entire life. Like even as a teenager going through puberty, that just wasn't a common thing for me at all. So I started to question, you know, without what was happening and a couple other little light bulb moments that when I look back at the picture, I'm like, oh, that's what it was like, you know, over that period of time, one instance, I went to the dentist and he pointed out that 
I was grinding my teeth and I was like, well, that's interesting. And being in the functional health space, I knew that teeth grinding could be highly correlated with parasites and candida. So I did a stool sample test again and sure enough found that I had overgrowth of these, you know, pathogens or gut bugs as we call them going on in my gut again, which I thought was interesting because it had been, I'd cleaned it up quite a bit again in my twenties, you know, back to that story. And then what really started to um, scream at me more, like when my body started screaming at me more, it was like I had a breakthrough period, even though I was on birth control. Um, and I, I hadn't had my period actually in years because I had taken birth control for so long. I just thought that was like odd. And then all of a sudden I started having really inflamed. through like two layers of clothing. And so my hormones were basically going crazy. And this was going on for a while. And then with divine intervention, just one day I was in my office working and opened up the closet door. Like it was literally two feet away from my desk and noticed that there was black mold on the ceiling. And so that led me down a pathway to do some other testing, uh, come to find out like that, you know, mold is extremely toxic. I don't know if you've had a chance to talk about that with your listeners at all, but it is so toxic. It elevates estrogen in the body. It can trigger thyroid antibodies just from the toxicity as well. The elevated estrogen can do that. So I found out, you know, discovered I was estrogen dominant. I was hypothyroid at the time and had triggered Hashimoto's. Uh, so that led me down a path to researching, exploring autoimmunity some more. I mean, I'd done a little bit of work in that area with some of the clients that I had worked with, but now I was dealing with myself and I plummeted into the information and just tried to learn everything that I could on how do we reverse this. Uh, and I was fortunate enough, like I caught my case pretty early on and I was able to reverse my Hashimoto's within six months. And I still sit here today in remission. Um, and I'd love to share some of the things that helped me do that today too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we totally covered mold um, on the podcast a couple times. Um, I personally had my own mold story too um, associated with that. And I had low grade Hashimoto's. I wasn't a full blown, um, but I definitely had antibodies to my thyroid. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I'm a huge fan of mold. I pretty much uh, mold is a huge part of my treatment and my practice huge. Um, but yeah, I think it's one of the most overlooked, um, underappreciated issues. And most people don't believe that they have it in their house or I don't see it. So I don't have it kind of rhetoric, mm -hmm. which is just unfortunate because I, you know, mold is, you know, contaminating about 50% of the U S buildings. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's an insane amount. So, I mean, if you just throw a dart, you're going to hit somebody and they probably have had mold exposure. So, yeah. I mean, yes. So I totally, yeah, totally agree. And I, boy, does it affect the female reproductive system in such a big way and people mm -hmm. don't correlate that. So I think it's so amazing. You've made that, you made that correlation because it is super powerful. Fixing mold fixes a lot of hormone reproduction. So, okay. So you had autoimmunity and you're kind of, you're looking in your gut and you're looking at mold. And so you know that these things are existing. So what are some of the things that you realized at looking this with a treatment plan? Because I think what people like to do when they find something, they're like, oh, mold is causing all my problems. But you rattled off a couple things that you may had, uh, you may or may not have had parasites in your stool. You definitely had candida. 
And, you know, you definitely found mold and we're having, you know, female reproductive issues. So you're looking at this and you're like, well, I need to kind of pair these things out. So, you know, it wasn't a one size fits all treatment, just take this and you're better. So kind of what did that treatment journey look like? Yeah. And it sounds like our approaches are very similar in that I like to look at the whole person And so I looked at myself that same way because the body is a, it's a network of complex systems, right? So when one system in the body is affected, there's a downstream effect to a lot of the other ones. So it's not a singular approach like you were alluding to. It's got to be this holistic approach to everything, right? So what's going on with our hormones impacts our gut and what's going on in our gut impacts our hormones and affects our liver and like all these other things. But I do think that one of the the foundations of overall healing is working on gut health because when we take a look at the gut like that's where our the majority of our immune system resides it's also where we absorb nutrients that are then used as you know building blocks for so many other things in the body and for repair um, it's also where we excrete toxins and help to move things out of the body. Um, And then it's also where we produce a lot of our neurotransmitters and even manufacture like antioxidants like melatonin, which also helps us to sleep. And if you're not sleeping, you can't really heal at all. So I do in my work, like the gut has to be a huge focal point in helping what it helped myself to move forward and it helped others to move forward too. And we have to look at you know, what are all the contributors to a dysfunctional gut? So certainly I had something like mold that was going on that acts as a major stressor. It just produces all these uh, toxic elements that start to degrade the intestinal lining. But then we get other contributors to um, that side of that effect as well. So then you start to develop like food sensitivities, which we, you know, can see a lot of times in autoimmune clients is that not only are they reactive to some of the more commonly inflammatory foods like gluten, dairy, sugar, um, soy, but then they also become reactive to foods that contain lectins, which is kind of the concept or approach of the autoimmune paleo protocol is to remove some of those other inflammatory foods, but they can also have individualized food sensitivities to other things outside of those dietary approaches. Um, So that was one of the things that I dove into looking at for myself is what are some of my food sensitivities. I did actually go on um, a, a modified autoimmune protocol that also incorporated like the things that I was specifically sensitive to because those food sensitivities are oftentimes a result of a dysfunctional intestinal lining, but they actually contribute back to it being in in dysfunctional as well because of the inflammation that it ensues. So removing those from a period of time just helps us to calm the inflammatory fire so that again, the body has this space to heal along with that. And then I think the other big piece that you kind of touched on is some of the gut bugs, you know, the parasites, bacteria, yeast overgrowth, when we have a weakened immune system and maybe a dysfunctional intestinal tract, we become more susceptible to these parasites, bacteria, and yeast overgrowth. And um, we have to ask the question, you know, what makes us a good host for those things? And something like mold, certainly again, like you know, depresses and suppresses the immune system makes us a good host for those things. But also like, you know, just stress in general, like anytime we encounter stress, it can create negative biochemicals or biofilm as well. That makes us more susceptible to those things, toxins, um, different foods, the sensitivities and the inflammation. 
overall. So that was also part of my protocol was identifying what some of those gut bugs were and then taking action to um, eliminate them because they produce their own toxic waste and inflammation as well. And when I work through protocols like that, it looks like, you know, fixing the diet, let's remove foods that are going to feed these type of gut bugs, as well as that are creating an environment for them to thrive with inflammation and things like that. Let's implement some natural um, herbal supplements, things like L-glutamine, fish oils, proprietary blends that are going to help to restore the gut line integrity to help with the healing process. And then I also love to use um, healing foods, as I call them, or food additives to help with that process too. So some other things just within your daily diet that can help with healing the gut are things like green tea. You know, green tea has an active ingredient um, called uh, polyphenol, uh, EGCG, which helps to modulate genes and produce an anti-inflammatory effect. So having a cup of green tea per day can actually help to keep inflammation at bay and really keep your gut happy also, right? And it does help with some of the beneficial bacteria in the gut um, as well, which help to uh, fight those things off. And then collagen. Collagen is another great kind of food additive. It's something really easy to add into your diet that provides the amino acids that are necessary in order for the body to repair the intestinal lining or the damage that has occurred. Um, and it's like so simple to add this to like your daily tea or coffee or water. And then bone broth, you know, that's another really easy one um, that you can incorporate that is rich in minerals for the immune system. Um, plus it has other gut healing properties such as glutamine, again, collagen, glycine, and proline to help really help to that healing process. And for those that can tolerate it, I think fermented foods are another great food, you know, healing additive because they help us to increase that diversity of bacteria, of the healthy bacteria that help to fight off like the gut bugs and also help to reduce inflammation and keep the gut healthy. So those are some of the things that I implemented as part of like healing my gut and also just overcoming this mold Hashimoto's type of scenario that I had going on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's, you know, it's interesting, like what comes into my office and I don't know if you can speak to this, but um, what really comes into my office is people are like trying to kind of like self-treat and they're still suffering because they haven't gotten rid of the gut bugs generally. And I think important, I think an important point is that there's definitely an order to treat things and it's, it's interesting. And, you know, I don't know what your, what your thought process is on this, but for, for me, I don't like to run a food sensitivity test until I know I've cleaned out the gut bugs because Mm -hmm. I used to, I did that on one patient. I'll never forget this. And this patient came back with everything (laughs) positive. I was like, so you can have cheese. Yeah. <laughs> you can have cheese. Like, and I mean, I'm not even exact. It was so bad. I'm like, I can't even show you this test. You can have cheese and like a uh, broccoli, but not too mm-hmm. much. Cause it was moderate. So, I mean, it, and so I think looking at that, I mean, I think clearing out the gut bugs is so, so critical to, you know, getting rid of, you know, all their toxic byproducts and healing up that. But there's definitely an order. And I think people miss the order. Like people want to start with leaky gut when you have all of these crazy pathogens in your gut 
and you're not even going to be able to, you know, heal that up. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, I'm assuming you have a pretty similar philosophy to me, I would assume, but yeah. yeah, definitely. I think that there is an order and I see clients that, you know, come to me and they're like, I did a candida diet and I felt like a little bit better, like after doing it, but then all my symptoms came right back, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that that is where they're missing some of the pieces of the puzzle that we're talking about. So generally, like when I take this approach, you know, I, I usually run a couple of labs all at the same time to see the big picture of how the systems of the body are interacting. So I'll do like a GI map stool sample test. I'll do a Dutch test, oftentimes like a hair tissue mineral analysis test. Um, And then I will do like a food sensitivity test so we can just see the big picture. And one Mm -hmm. of the things that I think is really important to your point is like about the food sensitivity test is like correlating it back to the person. Like you still have to take that information and make it realistic for them. And I'll, you know, when I look at a food sensitivity test, I'm like, okay, let's look at this realistically and see like, and prioritize, you know, what are the most important foods to stay away from? Cause we do want to reduce that inflammation, but I also want to make it realistic so that they can eat like you were saying, you know, mm-hmm. and yeah when I approach like a supplement protocol, like I have a very strategic approach to that where the first supplements that I actually implement are things that are going to help aid in digestive support and repair, like laying the foundation and getting them ready to um, detox out gut bugs. So we'll do like a digestive enzyme and a probiotic and the fish oils and some glutamine, maybe one or two other things that help to restore the integrity of the lining. And then I'll actually move on and I'll implement some things to help with like adrenal support or like minerals. Cause you know, with candida and things like that, it strips us as minerals, which makes oxalates worse sometimes, which can produce more candida. So we want to balance those minerals out. And then I'll go into like, what are detoxification support things? So like a liver support supplement and a glut like glutathione per se, So now we've laid this really strong foundation. Then we move into a detox phase where even, and I think in the detox of the gut bugs phase, that's where I find that being really strategic about the order of things is also important. So like if they've got multiple pathogens, like let's just say they have a parasite, a bacteria and a yeast overgrowth, which is common to see because all those organisms feed off of each other. Um, Through the training that I've received, at least like, you know, what we've kind of identified is that parasites are on the bottom of the food chain. And then you've got bacteria that grows off of that. And then yeast that grows on top of it. So when I see candida, I'm like, candida is not actually the problem. A lot of times it's these other gut bugs. And so Mm -hmm. we'll go after like parasites first and then bacteria. And then the yeast usually resolves itself on its own because we've cut off the food supply for it. And maybe we just do a little cleanup with some Saccharomyces boulardii or something kind of like gentle to mop up any rest of uh, rest of the yeast. And that's where I see like a lot of these people that have just done a candida diet per se, or candida cleanse, like they have reoccurring symptoms because they actually didn't address some of the underlying things that were feeding that in the first place. Right. And I also think it's important to prep the body for some of the detox. Cause I've also talked to so many people that have felt terrible when they've done something like a candida detox, cause their body wasn't fully supported to be able to detox those things out. Like your adrenals have to be online. Like your liver has to be running good. You know, we want the intestine to be supported. That has to move all that toxic element out. Um, and they usually like feel a lot better when we have that foundation in place when we move into that detox phase. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The candida piece when 
people just say, oh, I have candida. I just need to do a candida cleanse. It's just candida. I'm like, it's not just candida. It's yeah. just not. You've got mold. You've got parasites. You've got bacteria. Mm-hmm. You have all these other things. Like candida is opportunistic. It is yes. only there because it, you know, and if you like to your point, if you clean up the other stuff, candida goes away, you know, mm-hmm. it depends on like what it looks like. But seriously, I think that that is that that has been just so common. And I think the wellness community just to talk about candida, and I'm not really sure where that came from or mm-hmm. why, but that's like the major detox. And I mean, it's a hundred percent because most people have it, but most people have problems up the line. So exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, what's making you, we always go to ask the question, like what makes you a good host for candida? We have to look at all those things. And I agree. I'm like, where did this like obsession about candida come from? I don't know mm-hmm. where, but circling it back, back to autoimmunity also is that there are specific, like certain strains of parasites and bacteria and yeast that actually trigger the autoimmune process even more, like Klebsiella or Blastocystis hominis or H. pylori. Those are some of the things that have been synonymous with uh, Hashimoto's specifically. And so that's another area where I've seen, you know, some of these autoimmune clients trying to address candida and still not resolving their symptoms. And when we actually do some deeper stool testing and things like that, we can see some of these autoimmune trigger pathogens. And when we clean those things up, they start to make more progress in, you know, feeling better and getting their antibodies down too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A lot of those are triggered through the mouth. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of them are oral bacteria of dental work gone wrong. Yes. (laughs) Yes. You know? <laughs> yeah. I think that that's also just so overlooked, but yeah, well, another day for that, another day. <laughs> um, so, so when we're looking, so are there other things that you feel like is really important? So, you know, talking about treating the parasites, you know, treating the bacteria, potentially treating the candida, treating the mold, you know, to reverse autoimmunity. Are there other supportive things that you like to recommend to kind of, to, to support people? Yeah, um, I do. And these again are actually some really simple things that have actually been around for a long time that anybody can do. And one of them is deep breathing. And this might sound surprising to people, but our body can only heal when it's in a relaxed state. And the majority of the day you're in fight or flight mode, whether you know it or not. I mean, it's just a factor of our modern day life and society. Like when you are, you may think that you're relaxed because you're just working around the house doing, you know, chores that actually triggers the fight or flight response. Whenever we're constantly moving, it can trigger this fight or flight response. And if you look at how we eat, like how many of us sit down for lunch and work while we eat, right? So that's triggering that fight or flight response. And when we're in fight or flight, all of our resources are pushed outward um, to the body. So like all your blood flow goes out to your arms and legs for quick moving into your brain for quick thinking, which robs resources from the digestive system to A, be able to digest and B, for all the organs internally to be able to heal. So deep breathing is a tool that we can use that automatically flips the switch in the brain. It takes us out of that fight or flight response into what we call parasympathetic mode, which is the rest or digest mode, right? And so the more that we can get into that rest and digest mode, the more healing can happen in the body. So the more repair of the intestinal lining, But also when we're in that rest and digest mode, it's called rest and digest because it actually helps us to optimize 
digestion. And so we talk about something like, you know, healing from mold or healing autoimmune conditions, or even getting past these gut bugs, we want to make sure that we're absorbing nutrients as optimally as possible. So if you're spending, you know, good money on high quality foods and supplements, don't you want to make sure that you're getting the most out of that and not flushing it down the toilet? (laughs) Um, So one of the things that I, I kind of coach some of my clients around doing is doing every single time you sit down to eat is do five to 10 rounds of deep breathing, like inhale for five seconds, hold it for five seconds, and then exhale for seven seconds and repeat that five to 10 times. And it's fascinating what a lot of them will report back is, you know, one is that their digestion is much better, like there's their bowel movements improve, bloating starts to diminish, for them as well. And they also feel more satisfied after eating because they actually digested their food. So that helps to reduce digestive stress. It helps to get us in that healing place and absorb more nutrients. So that has been such a great little like trick up my sleeve that I, I recommend a lot of times. And then another, you know, really great one that I love that's been around in like the naturopathic community for a long time and in Ayurvedic medicine is um, castor oil packs. So whenever I bring this up to clients, they're like, oh my God, I remember my grandma used to to talk about like taking a tablespoon of castor oil a day. And um, I don't necessarily recommend ingesting it for clients, but it is possible to ingest it. It actually has a lot of great um, antimicrobial benefits, um, specifically for dental health, as you were mentioning. So I use castor oil to do oil pulling. A lot of people use like coconut oil instead and castor oil has even stronger antimicrobial benefits to it. So you actually only need to pull with castor oil for like five minutes versus coconut oil. It's like the recommendation is, you know, 15 to 20 minutes. Um, So we can use it for that purpose to help cleanse the, you know, keep our oral health good, which is like you said, where a lot of these pathogens can get started but then also doing a castor oil pack over the abdomen, which targets a couple different areas for us. Like one, it helps to stimulate detoxification and improve liver function, but the properties of castor oil are very anti-inflammatory. So it can help to reduce inflammation in the intestinal lining. Um, It also helps to reduce cortisol levels in the body and boost oxytocin levels. So again, reducing that fight or flight stress response improving overall feeling of well-being, improving sleep as a result of that too, which helps us to heal. Um, It has prostaglandins in it that help to balance our hormones, which as we talked about, the systems of the body can be interlinked and created. And it helps to like improve bowel movements, prevent constipation and do all these other amazing things for us. castor oil pack like three to five times a week, because it basically 10x is the results for any other kind of therapies or things that you're doing. Um, And it's really soothing. And it's a it gives you a reason to relax in the evening time too. I tell them like put on your castor oil pack, I'm all about multitasking. So I'm like, put on your castor oil pack, meditate at the same time, kill two birds with one stone, or you can lay there and relax and watch TV. Or if you're like a super multitasker like me, I'm like, wear my castor oil pack, meditate and sit in my sauna all at the same time (laughs) to do all the things, (laughs) you know, (laughs) that is, that's impressive. That is a lot. So (laughs) what about, um, sauna therapy? Are you a Mm -hmm. fan of sauna therapy? I'm a huge fan of sauna therapy and I, I use it myself personally. I have for years. Um, I did notice, you know, when I was going through kind of the depths of healing Hashimoto's and 
the mold stuff, um, my tolerance for it wasn't as strong in terms of like temperature and amount of time that I could sit in there. So like, I feel I'm probably feeling my healthiest here today. So I can do like 140 degrees for like 30 minutes, maybe even more if I wanted to. Um, but when I was in that time frame, I had to really dial down the temperature to like 110, 120 degrees and maybe just 15 to 20 minutes. Otherwise I would feel too fatigued, you know, afterwards. And that's even with doing, you know, binders and things like that to help move the toxins out. So we do, I think I caution people depending on where they're at, like in their healing process and the depth of stuff that they might be detoxing, like, let's just take it cautiously so that we don't overwhelm the body with too much demand and work. Um, but I do think it's a great complementary therapy for what most people are trying to achieve. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of people report, I think even less aches and pains is a huge one. Mm-hmm. A lot of folks believe that um, that saunas are really helping to move and detox out the toxins. I mean, I think it depends on what your theory is on autoimmunity, but I think toxins play mm-hmm. a huge Huge, huge role in autoimmunity, uh, environmental chemicals, metals, benzene, you know, uh, like, you know, gasoline byproducts, which we're exposed to so much. And they're part of our natural everyday life. Mm-hmm. Um, and then mold on top of that, our body just can't even detoxify at all. I mean, I, I yeah. about... 10 years ago, I said, you know, we're exposed to 80,000 chemicals every seven days. Now it's 80,000 chemicals every single day. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just like a huge body burden on us. So I yeah. mean, I'm a huge fan. I personally have a sauna. I sit in it quite a bit. I'm a, mm-hmm. I'm a huge fan of them. I think that they actually do a ton, a ton of good. And I, I love the way that I feel after sitting in it. Yeah. But, um, but you're totally right. I think a lot of folks try to go too hard, too big, too fast. Like they try to sit in there for a super long time. They get dizzy. They're completely fatigued mm-hmm. the next day. Um, because if a little bit was good, then more is better. Right. Right. But that's not the case. <laughs> really. It's not the case. Yeah. And it's, I think it's just so dependent. Like I even have, if I have a stressful week or a really stressing day for some reason, like worked out hard in the morning, you know, stressful work day, like I will take a break from my sauna that night. Cause it's all like, you're kind of ex- describing it's the, um, compounding factors that lead to the eventual breakdown of the body, right? Like it's the, it is the toxins, it's the foods, it's the, all the stress in our life. It's all these other things. And so one of the concepts that I talk about a lot with people is like, you know, being able to identify the burden of stress on your body at any point in time and knowing what to do to mitigate that, you know, or making conscious choices from that place um, so that you're constantly just kind of creating a balance. You're never going to live in a bubble and you can't be perfect. Like we can't always see, hear and feel or smell all the toxins in our environment, but we know that they're there. So I think we just have to do like, you know, work every single day to alleviate some of that stress burden that's happening. What are some of the things that you wish you would have known before you ended up, you know, with Hashimoto's? What would have been things that you would have done to prevent it or done differently? Now knowing what you know. (laughs) Yeah. I'm like, I wish I would have known about the mold sooner. Um, (laughs) I don't know that it's something that I wish that I would have known necessarily, but I wish that I would have taken action sooner. And what I mean by that is, Um, And I think that we all do this, like even us as health practitioners, 
is over, you know, as I was describing, it was like this slow build over the course of two years where things in my health just started going down downhill. And I kept deprioritizing myself, like, oh, I'll get to that later. Oh, I'm doing all the things that I can, or like beating myself up for the weight that I had gained, or um, you know, then I started kind of seeking out, like reaching out to my other practitioner friends. Cause I felt like I was doing all the right things, you know? And, and I think that's one of the clues about mold that looking back now that I can kind of explain to people is like, when you're doing all the things and you're still just treading water, start thinking mold, right? Because there's something or something environmental, because there's something there that's keep that's holding you back. And so you know, I kept chalking it up to like, oh, I'm just getting older. I'm in my 30s now. My hormones are changing. This must be natural. It's like normal. And now, and like, I already kind of knew before that that was a bunch of BS. And now I know it even more. And I tell clients that all the time. It's like, it doesn't, your age doesn't matter. Like your gender doesn't matter. None of these things matter. Like, I think that we need to pay more attention from into our bodies because there is no doctor or test or anybody else that knows your body better than you do. And if there's something that's intuitively you feel is wrong, like I did, then you need to pay attention to that and don't wait on it. Cause then you will, you know, get down this cycle, or maybe you can catch something even earlier on than I did and reverse it and have that, you know, opportunity essentially. So that was probably one of my biggest you know, takeaways from that experience was like, I will no longer deprioritize myself. I will no longer push something off when it comes to my health. Like if there's something that doesn't feel right, I'm on it right away because I don't want to end up in that place again, you know? And I think that in society, what we've come to, like Dr. Tom O'Brien talks about this. I'm going to quote him here is like, you know, just because something is common does not mean that it's normal. But that's what we've come to like accept, right? Like, oh, well, everybody, you know, has a terrible time with menopause or everybody goes through hormonal changes in their 30s or everybody experiences a common cold or flu. Well, just because it's common doesn't mean that it's necessarily normal. We've just grown to accept that and, and it doesn't have to be that way. And I think, you know, you talked about health people deprioritizing themselves, which is totally true, but other people that totally deprioritize themselves as a common, you know, moms, you know, people that are busy and they just never have the time for themselves, whatever it is, whatever takes priority, their career, their children, this, Mm -hmm. that, the other thing. And then, you know, you start having children that, that will start acting up. And, you know, if the mom was in a really good spot, then, you know, that would, that would bleed over to the kids. And so, you know, you see this, it's so important to not, it's, it's not a good thing to put your health off. It's an important thing to address because the people around you are so affected by that. Mm -hmm. I mean, and it's, I think that somehow that has been looked on in society as heroic. Like I'm going to suffer for these people. And like, that's like, that's not okay. It's not good. (laughs) It's not good. Exactly. And I, I'm hoping that, you know, I know we've all been through going through this pandemic thing together. And that's actually one of the things that I'm hope that I hope people take out of this is, you know, the classic case of somebody like, feeling under the weather and going into work sick, and then they infect the entire office building, right? And we've been doing that for so long. And what if you're sick, 
stay home because if you just stayed home for that one day and allowed your body to like sleep and rest and relax, then you would get over that cold or flu or whatever it is within probably 24 to 48 hours versus you hear these people who've been dealing with this hacking cough for 10, 15, 20 days. And I'm like, I think that this pandemic is going to, it's kind of like reset our perspective on that where, oh, if I'm sick, I don't go out in public, right? (laughs) I need to prioritize myself, like nothing else matters. And I totally agree with you. I mean, women are totally guilty about this and not that that's, uh, we shouldn't feel ashamed for being guilty of doing it. And then the, the career types, I mean, I tend to work with a lot of um, executive level career type people that are single, they don't have kids, but what they've done their entire life is sacrifice their health in pursuit of their career. And that was me prior to getting into this work. That was one of the reasons why I had a lot of, I had health issues to start with in my twenties is that I was just that like super A type personality overachiever, you know, doing sports internship, full-time at school and college, managing a part-time job, all these things. Um, you know, because it's like a badge of honor, you know, to, to do all the things. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I see a lot of autoimmune people are that way too. Like they've just run themselves to the ground where their body is like so broken down that now this autoimmune process has been triggered ultimately. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. And what are, I know that you sauna, I know you do castor oil packs and meditate together all in one. Um, what are a few other things that you do to keep yourself healthy? Uh, sleep is critically important to me that like nobody messes with my sleep. (laughs) So I often say that, like, I think we need to learn to value sleep more than diet and exercise in a lot of ways, because if you're not sleeping good and sleeping during the right times, according to your circadian rhythm, it's basically kind of canceling out all of your diet and exercise efforts. And so I am very adamant about being asleep by 10 PM, um, pretty much every night out of the week. Sometimes it's even earlier, like nine or nine 30. And I You know, there are the few times of the year where I go to a wedding or we go out dancing in Vegas or something where I stay up and um, I feel it the next day. But I do think that sleep is so, so important. And we just, you know, with the pandemic, we just got a puppy and we had to wake up every couple of hours to let the puppy out, which is great. But I was like, this is it's so disruptive to my sleep. I was brain foggy, you know, the next day trying to work and I don't have kids. So I don't mean to offend people with kids, but I was like, why people like do this to themselves with kids. And this goes on for years. I was like, I don't understand. (laughs) So um, sleep is also super important for my own personal, just well-being and health exercise and being out in nature is also really critical for me. And it's not about burning calories or any of that stuff. If I don't move my body on a daily basis, I just, from a mental health standpoint, don't feel as great. So that is another huge part of, of my routine, I would say too. Awesome. Well, where can people find you if they want to get in touch with you? Yeah. So, um, I am pretty active with blogging and stuff. I have a website. You can find me at uh, holistichealthboss.com. Um, holistic is spelt with a W just like the word whole for whole foods or whole body. Uh, and then I also love spending time on Instagram. So you can find me on Instagram at holistic health boss. And I do have a Facebook page too, where I post up content and tips and resources over there as the holistic health boss as well. 
Awesome. Thank you so much for being here. This was awesome. This was a really fun interview. And all of you listeners out there, if you want to see this live, please go to YouTube, to the Fearless Health channel, hit subscribe, tell us what you want to hear next. We really want to hear your comments, get your feedback on that. And if you like what you're do- we're doing here, please give us five stars and give us a shout out, okay? We will talk to you soon. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed learning with us today, please give us a five-star review comment, like, and share our podcast with your friends and family. As always, if you'd like to learn more information about today's guest, please head over to fearlesshealthpodcast.com for links to their site and other educational resources.